4, testing mic 4. everyone. Happy Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Around the Waves here on KCU 88.1 FM Columbia. I'm your host, Ben Schmidt. Alongside me, co-host Ryan Walterman, who is not going to be with us today. He's got a test, I believe, that he's taking right now, so really shows where his priorities are at. In all seriousness, no, uh, welcome back to Around the Waves on KCU 88.1 FM. We've got some fall weather in the air today. We've got some football weather, and that's got to be exciting, right, Ryan? Yeah, I'm very excited, uh, especially to talk about some of the topics that we're going to be talking about today because uh, they're very exciting topics to me. Um, but obviously, we start off here with Mizzou football, obviously, as they, uh, they just beat Avaline Christian. So they open SEC play against Auburn, and, you know, I'm very excited about this. But one thing I'm worried about, I know Auburn's quarterback is going to be out, but their running back is still very scary, and it's a problem for Mizzou that they always just go into SEC games and give up big yardage. I mean, they even gave up a decent yardage to LA Tech, which is something that you wouldn't expect from them. And then obviously Kansas State just completely ran over us. So uh, something that I'm kind of worried about there, Ben. Yeah, well, let's get into that Mizzou-Auburn game. As like you mentioned, Mizzou coming off the win against Abilene Christian, took that one 34-17 last Saturday. And they opened this first SEC game of the season on the road before hosting Georgia at home at Furrow Field next week. So we got to start on the road for SEC play, and it's headed to Jordan Hare to face Auburn. In Auburn, who was coming off kind of a smacking last week at the hands of Penn State at home. They dropped that one 40-12, similar shades to what we saw for Mizzou when they faced Kansas State a couple weeks weeks ago and bigger thing there is Auburn loses their quarterback in that game their starting quarterback TJ Finley got hurt left the game and is not going to be starting this weekend so it's going to be some combination or, or someone out of the group of Zach Calzada the Texas A&M transfer and Robbie Ashford that gets the start for Auburn this weekend kind of really don't even know at this point who that's going to be and, and then at that point it, it's really just seeing who gets off to the better start in SEC play it's uh, Mizzou is going to have a really tough schedule early on in this conference so so Auburn is still a better team right now than Missouri, but I think it's it's a beatable team at this point. Auburn's favored by seven points at home, and Jordan-Hare is not an easy place to play whatsoever. I can't tell you how many times we've seen a better team like Alabama go into that stadium and lose the football game because, one, it's an SEC rival, and, two, it's, it's a tough place to play. So it will not be an easy task for Mizzou whatsoever. And like you mentioned, the running game for Auburn has been pretty good throughout the season. Tank Bigsby has got over 237 yards and three touchdowns. That's almost 100 yards more than Mizzou's leading rusher, which is their quarterback, Brady Cook. 
So I think the big thing there is going to be establishing some run out of that group of rotating running backs. It depends who you're going to see back there. Elijah Young got a lot of work last week. There were a whole lot of different running backs that got a lot of work last week for Mizzou. So out of that rotating group of backs, who kind of steps up and takes the lead right there? I believe we saw like five or six different running backs from Mizzou get carries in that Abilene Christian game. And then another thing I want to see from Mizzou is, is there going to be some creativity in this offense? It felt like there were times where they opened things up, got the ball to Luther Burden in space, took a couple shots downfield to Dominic Lovett. But then once the game was kind of a 10-point lead or so for Missouri, it just felt like run the ball, pound the rock, pound the rock, and it started to get a little predictable. And against a really good, not necessarily really good, but a much better defensive line in Auburn than the one you have in Abilene Christian, it's it's not gonna that game plan's not gonna work. One, you're probably not gonna get to the lead playing that type of offense. Then you're not gonna be able to sustain that lead because Auburn, I, I believe, will do a much better job of locking that down. I want to see some creativity in that offense for Mizzou this week. I got a couple more things, but I'll turn it over to you. Are you thinking that that Mizzou gets their first win in SEC play here this weekend, Ryan? Yeah. So obviously it's tough because I'm pretty sure in the Drinkwitz era they only have two wins on the road: South Carolina and I'm pretty sure Vanderbilt. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's all that he. Uh, that Drinkwitz has brought to the table. So, obviously, the Tigers aren't the best on the road, and obviously you said it's really hard to play at Auburn Stadium. Um, something that I'm kind of just looking at, and it's uh, I'm not sure if it's odd to me or not, but the fact that our quarterback, Brady Cook, leads the rushing on our team is quite something, considering we have Cody Schrader and Nathaniel Pete, who are still very good, but they just seem to not be able to find those holes lately. Uh, I do think that Nathaniel Pete, Cody Schrader, both need to have a good game to beat this Auburn team. Uh, I think that the running game, if it is there, then that's going to help out the Tigers, but I do think that the passing game needs to be there as well. Uh, find more openings to find Toski Dove, uh, Daniel Lovett, uh, Dominic Lovett, my bad. And then you also need to find Luther Burden as well, get him more touches. I really liked what they did against Avaline Christian, where he was actually the one taking receiving the punts. Uh, I thought he did really well, and obviously he returned the game, I think, the very beginning, the first stop for the Tigers when they when Avaline Christian had the punt. I think it was 75 or 76 yards 79 yeah 79, you're right yeah. in the area so I hope that he I hope that Drinkwood still has him on the returns for the punts maybe even just a kickoff as well because I think Luther really shows uh, he really sets a spark for the Tigers there when he returns the ball um but you know although this is a really tough game as long as Missouri can stop Tank Bigsby which I do believe they can I do think Missouri can win this one. I'm going to go 35-28. to 28. I think it's going to be a close game. I know 35 is a lot of points that the Tigers are going to have to put up, but I do think that they can do it. I think the run game can be there. I think Brady Cook is going to be able to, you know, kind of uh, slow himself down, finally find his mark where he stands in, on this team, and he's going to be able to uh, be patient, wait for the right call, wait, wait for the right play to be made. I think Luther Burden's going to have another big day as well for the Tigers, and I think Missouri's going to move to 3-1, Ben. Yeah, this is the biggest test for Brady Cook, that's for sure. And I think this if, if they win this game, sure, you're going to get your carries out of Schrader, Pete Cox, some sort of rotation, like I mentioned a moment ago, and even Cook running the football. He had 42 rushing yards last week. But Cook is going to have to attack through the air. This is, I don't want to say you need a certain number of passing yards to win a game, but you're probably looking at very least needing 250 and a couple touchdowns out of Cook, maybe even more than that, just because I think it's going to be a physical game. And I also, I don't think Mizzou is going to do that big, good of a job stopping Tank Bigsby. I mean, Jeremiah Dobbins last week had 73 rushing yards for Abilene Christian, and no disrespect to Jeremiah Dobbins, but that's not an SEC running back. Tank Bigsby is an SEC running back and a pretty good one as well. So I could see him 
him having a big day, which means Mizzou's going to have to score, and probably on a lot of occasions have to score fast. So Cook's going to have to have a big day. At Luther Burden, like you said a moment ago, they got on the ball in the punt returns, and you know what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's so shifty. Uh, there's a reason why they got him six catches last week for 58 yards. Under 10 a catch, but that's because they were trying to get it to him quickly and then make some space. There's going to be some days where you see those six catches and they're shorter, but it turns into 100 yards because he breaks a couple tackles. Love it over the top. I kind of like that strategy. It seems to be attacking deep with Lovett and then intermediates underneath with Luther Burden. And so the over-under on this one is 51.5. I honestly, I don't think it gets there. It's it's two SEC teams that are going to play a physical brand of football. I think you you had it, say your score prediction one more time. Yeah, 35-28. So I do okay, you'll, you'll take the over. It gets <laughs> there in that one. Um, I think worst case scenario, this is a game where Mizzou goes in and just gets out outplayed in the physical aspect from the start. Bigsby's running the rock. Mizzou can't move it. I think that's worst case scenario, and we're looking at a Kansas State type thing once again. I don't know if Auburn would score that many points as Kansas State. I don't trust their offense right now with whether it is Calzada or Robbie Ashford, which is crazy because we're sitting here two games before the game, and their coach really has not provided any update about it. I, I get it. You want to kind of keep it, uh, get, make some confusion for the Missouri defense, but there's really been absolutely nothing outside of the fact that TJ Finley is not playing but on my end I'm going to take the under 51 and a half on this one and sadly I'm I'm thinking that Auburn grabs this one they move to three and one and that would drop Mizzou to two and two when you look at the season if Mizzou wants to get to that mark or they were a 500 last year and really improve this season which I think were the expectations to at least improve by a game or two this is a game you would have to win I just wasn't incredibly impressed by the way things went last week against Abilene Christian were they probably playing a little bit safer in the second half, just coasting to the finish line? Probably. They probably could have scored more if they really tried to attack the defense. But I wasn't impressed enough to think that they're going to roll into this one and take a victory on the road. So I'm not only going to take Auburn to cover the seven points, but I think they win this one 27-17. And, and what would be a tough loss for Mizzou because then you got Georgia staring you down next week, and that's that's a game at home that – I, I would assume yeah. the entire country is picking you to lose. So it's there's there's a, a decent amount of line on the game, a decent amount on the line in this game. Considering it's only week four, it's it's. I'm not calling it a must win, but in terms of the the season prospects, where everyone said their only SEC win will come against Vanderbilt. This isn't a good SEC team. There's a chance to maybe prove a little bit of people wrong early and, and get yourself a little bit a little bit of attention. If they beat Auburn, is this team going to turn into a top 25 team and get all this hype? No, not at all. Because Auburn right now isn't that good either. But you give yourself a little bit of hype in the SEC, I, I would think so. Yeah, and I mean, also, you know, you'd be another big road win for Drinkwitz, obviously. Not being able to do so good on the road. So, obviously, you're going with the fact that you don't think Missouri's going to be able to really stop the run game. I know that they haven't really been able to show that, especially on the road uh, going into Kansas State. And another thing, you know, I just want to mention uh, a little bit off topic here, though. But in the last couple of years, Missouri seems to have a problem in week one or week two. And again, they showed it this year with just completely fumbling the ball at Kansas State. And they was fumbled bad, man. They they lost really badly. So I think that mentality of, you know, next game up, uh, next person up, I think that that means that either Schrader, uh, Pete, or maybe even Young are going to have a good game at Auburn. I really think that one of those three can have a good game. That's kind of what I'm banking on because obviously with the 35 points there, 
you're going to have to get some type of rushing touchdowns, and that's kind of what I'm banking on. So it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, I think Missouri has to be hype and excited for it. Obviously, it's another big SEC game. And I, should, I should say another big. They haven't even played an SEC opponent yet, but it's their first big SEC game. It's on the road. They know what they can do, and I think that it's going to be a very exciting game. And, and I'm banking on a lot of things to happen, but I do think that Missouri can win this game. Yeah, absolutely, and I think we're all hoping at the very least that this game is close because the way that Kansas State unfolded a couple weeks ago, it's, I mean, that game for all for all the Mizzou fans, I mean, you're looking at halftime and the game's really over, the quarterbacks aren't playing well, the defense is on the field almost the entire game, so I think at the very least, everyone here in Columbia is all just hoping that this game gets laid into it and Mizzou's still got a shot. I think that's that's a big thing as well. Not not wanting to have moral victories, but some of these SEC opponents can can their start being a little bit more fight up until the finish. They've had a couple ones. It was the Kentucky game last year where they kept it close all, all up until the finish line. There's been sporadic events like that, but there needs to be less and less of the type of game where it's Kansas State and it's it's over by the second half. But let's move on from Mizzou football. We'll see how the Tigers fare there on Saturday at 11 a.m. Let's move on to baseball. We've done so much football here the last couple weeks. You kind of forget that. Oh yeah, baseball. Baseball is still happening. It's certainly taking a back seat, though, as we near October into postseason baseball. So, Ryan, this was your idea. NL wild card race, and with about two weeks to play, the new wild card edition this season, you had the third wild card team, and it looks like it, it potentially in the National League could come down to the wire. So let's get into that a little bit here. The Braves have already clinched their spot. The defending champs are back in. They still have a chance to catch the Mets for the NL East title, but at the very least, the Braves or the Mets will hold that top wild card spot. And the other two spots left. It's essentially down to three teams at this point. The Diamondbacks are still mathematically alive, but that team is is essentially out of the race. So let's get into Padres are up a game and a half on the final spot. The Phillies have that third spot. So those are the two teams that are in right now, and the Brewers are two and a half games behind the Phillies for that final wildcard spot. But a little caveat, Phillies own the tiebreak, so it's essentially a three and a half game lead for the Phillies over the Brewers. So Ryan, out of those three teams remaining, Padres, Phillies, and Brewers, who do you think is going to be the one that misses out and spends October watching from their couch? Yeah, so obviously it's a great question, and I know you just said everything, but I'm just going to go with, so if the season ended today, this is what we'd be looking at, the Dodgers and the Mets would hold that first round by. It'd be the Padres are the number five seed, taking on number four seed, the Braves, like you just said. The winner would then face the number one seed, and then we'll have another wild card series as it's an ex- ex- extended wild card. T- uh, Twelve teams make it this year, so it'd be number six Phillies at number three Cardinals. So here's what I'm thinking, Ben. I honestly think that the Padres have the toughest schedule to end things off because they obviously have to face the Cardinals, uh, and then I, they have some other good teams in there as well. They're looking to face um, the White Sox, which obviously they could be able to beat, but uh, obviously after the Cardinals, they go to Colorado, should be able to do okay there. Then they go to the Dodgers, which I don't know how the Dodgers are going to play since they've already wrapped up their division. They made the playoffs. I'm not sure if they're going to be playing as, sport, as like, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to play their, te- their, good, their good players or whatnot. Yeah, they could be coasting by that point. Yeah, and then they face the White Sox and the Giants. So I honestly think that that team probably has the toughest. The team that I was going to pick, and I think I am going to pick, to miss out on the playoffs is Milwaukee Brewers. I just feel like 
you know, I understand that they're the farthest away right now, but they just have not been really playing good ball at all. Um, losing Josh Hader really hurt them. Uh, Devin Williams, you know, he's, he can do all he can, but they play Cincinnati. They start off a four-game set tonight, so obviously I kind of just depends to me on how they do there because then they play two against St. Louis, which I would think they have to go 1-1, one and one, maybe even 2-0 there. Then they play Miami, which they should be able to do, and then Arizona. So honestly, to me, it's kind of how do they play against your Reds in this four-game series then they face the Cardinals in Miami, and then it's just kind of easy coast in there. Then they go to Arizona, which I think, quite honestly, should be pretty easy for them there. And then the Phillies, obviously, they have Atlanta for four starting off tonight, and they face my Cubbies for three, then Washington at three, and then Houston for three. But obviously, Houston at that point might already be making the playoffs in those last three games, so they kind of could just be coasting as well. But, you know, the team that I'm going to pick, I think, is going to be Milwaukee that they're just going to miss out. Yeah, I'd love to argue argue this question, but just looking at it from a mathematical standpoint, it's real tough for the Brewers, I, I think. And you look at just the numbers, okay, oh, they're only two and a half behind the Brewers and then four and a half or four behind the Padres. That doesn't seem like a whole lot. But when you look at how much time they have left, essentially two weeks, the season ends at, uh, two weeks from yesterday, so just under two weeks. That is a lot of games to make up in that period of time. So uh, although it may seem like a small number when you're looking at 162 season, to try and make that up in under two weeks is really, really unlikely. And what I mean by that, here's just an example. Let's say the Phillies, who are that team hanging on to the last wild card spot, if they go 6-8, and eight, which is two games under 500 against a, a not very good skitter, you mentioned all four of those teams, Astros probably locked into the number one seed at that point for the last game of the season. So I don't see the Astros probably not. Maybe maybe to line up their playoff rotation, they do some things. But this Astros team was probably coasting at that point. And the other three team, or the other two teams, Cubs and Nationals, are beatable at that point. Braves won't be easy. But against that stretch, a very winnable stretch for the Phillies. If they go six and eight under 500, Brewers have to go at the very least nine and four. So Brewers essentially they have to win every series and, and in there have to. Really Really, it really shows something. They'd probably have to take three out of four from the Reds. You'd have to dominate the Marlins and D-backs and potentially split where the Cardinals could get you there. But that's you'd have to go that good, and that's only if the Phillies go just a little bit under 500. If the Phillies go 8-6, and six, I mean, you'd essentially have to be perfect if you're the Brewers. So the math just doesn't hold up a whole lot. And plus, I trust the Phillies down the stretch. Uh, Wheeler got his ERA down to a 298. He's at the top of that rotation. You have Nola in there. Kyle Gibson's in their rotation as well, though he didn't have the greatest game the other night against, I believe it was Toronto, but the Phillies offense is also, I think, a little bit more trustworthy than the Brewers. It, it kind of comes and goes with Milwaukee. We'll see stretches where Christian Yelich looks like uh, closer to the player he was two years ago. Willie Domus will get hot, but it's just not a very good offense in Milwaukee. Meanwhile, with the Phillies, it's not incredible either, but you still have Bryce Harper, MVP candidate, or a reigning MVP, probably not an MVP this year because of how much time he missed with injury, but he's still hitting essentially 300. JT Real Muto, one of the best catchers, if not the best catcher in the game. Schwarber's in the race for the most home runs in the National League. So I, just the Phillies, one, they have the math on their side, and I just think that their team's better. The way Milwaukee went about their trade deadline to try and kind of straddle the being competitive now, but also getting themselves in a better spot for the future. Very dangerous game, and it looks like it did not play out in their favor because at that time, they were actually leading the NL Central, but then they fought all the way back, way back of St. Louis. They're technically still in the race, but St. Louis would, I believe, essentially have to lose out, and Milwaukee would have to win out at that point. And not only that, the Brewers have fallen all the way out of the wild card, so kind of a disastrous second half for a Milwaukee team that the window right now is, is, is open for them. It's a team expected to be competing right now. They were one of the best teams in the National League last year, 
lost in the first round to Atlanta a couple years ago. They were one win strive getting to the World Series with a lot of these same similar pieces. So the Brewers are going to have to take a long look in the mirror this offseason and figure out where the direction is because they've got some money tied up in some players that aren't producing a whole lot and, and they're going to have to pay their pitchers as well that have really came on in the past couple of seasons. So Phillies, I, I, I'm not a huge Phillies guy because it feels like they always disappoint and, and are paying big money to a whole lot of players just to not have not have a ton of success as uh, playoff wise and they haven't made the playoffs I believe since it was 2011 so I don't love having to say that I think the Phillies are going to make it I will root for my guy Nick Castellanos in the playoffs so I don't even he may not even be healthy right now so Phillies I think hold on to this one and then I, I'm excited just because the wild card the two different series it's something we have not had we we only added the second wild card team about 10 years ago now you add in another one to kind of have two three game series being played I think that's going to make some for some really fun October baseball. Yeah, and I mean, you. I don't think we, we really touched much on the Padres, but obviously on a five-game winning streak, and they've played phenomenal against the uh, the Cardinals. Obviously, we talk about Blake Snell's 13 Ks last night. This is, a, this is a team that is obviously making the playoffs, and the Padres are just playing really well against them. I also think the Cardinals might be getting cold. I hope I'm wrong because that's not a team that you want to see getting cold this late in the season, but they have not really played that well lately at all. Before we move on from baseball real quick, do you think that there's a team come October that's competing? with the Dodgers in the playoffs. You can argue the Mets, when they're at full strength, maybe the Braves are the defending champs and are getting healthy, but do you think that there's a team competing with the Dodgers? Not really. I think the Dodgers are just that good. Part of me, I, you know, part of me and maybe all of America hopes they choke in the playoffs, but I don't think anyone's going to compete. Obviously, the one team that I'm going to say, and that's just because they're the reigning champs, is the Braves. I do think they have the lineup to do it, and they have the pitchers to do it. Yeah, I think it's going to be more of a thing where if the Dodgers lose, they maybe do it to themselves, where it's uh, some pitcher implodes or they have an injury, something that doesn't go their way, because they're clearly the best team heading into the playoffs. When you have a starting lineup, or in your top three, it's including Mookie Betts, Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman. That's going to be hard for any pitching staff to beat. Although you never know, at, at full strength, facing Scherzer and DeGrom back-to-back in a three-game series, that's probably the best one-two punch we've seen in quite some time, and that's a matchup to potentially look forward to. But we're going to get back to football, but first we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere because when we're back on Around the Ways, we've got some NFC football talk, and we'll return in just a moment on KCU 88.1 FM. Hey, Mizzou, did you know that research at the Wellness Resource Center indicates that 90% of MU students do not approve of being rude to other fans? This is why Mizzou has the best fans in America. This public service announcement has been brought to you by the Wellness Resource Center, Craft Beer Cellar, and KCOU 88.1 FM. Hey, Mizzou fans, did you know that Mizzou has the best fans in America? Well, it's true. We treat other teams as players and fans with respect. We carry ourselves with class and dignity. We cheer loudly for Mizzou, and we take pride in our choices. This public service announcement has been brought to you by the Wellness Resource Center, Craft Beer Cellar, and KCOU 88.1 FM. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCU 88.1 FM, Columbia, Ben Schmidt, Ryan Walterman. So let's get back, or I guess get into NFL. Let's get back to some football, but into the National Football League because it's the best this time of year. We got fall weather, we got fall sports, and we got a whole lot to talk about. So a couple big storylines from week two that we're going to carry into week three, which starts tonight. Let's start with the Miami Dolphins, who I think put the entire league on notice this past Sunday with their 35-17 comeback, or maybe 
believe he's 35-14, pardon me, he was 35-14, comeback against the Baltimore Ravens on the road in the fourth quarter, led by head coach Mike McDaniel, Tua Tungavaloa, wide receivers Waddle and Hill, really making plays. Kansas City and Columbia listeners are especially familiar with Tyree Kill. But the, the biggest shocker in that game was Tua Tungavailoa's 500-plus yard, six-touchdown, two-interception performance, a quarterback who had a whole lot uh, I, I guess storylines about him. Uh, the doubter is probably a better word to say coming into the season. It's a make or break year for Tua and still just two games into the season, but the the way he performed on Sunday begs the question, Ryan, is Tua the answer long-term for the Dolphins a quarterback? Yeah, um, I honestly think that I have to see a little bit more. I know that last game was really awesome to see. Uh, Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill really helped out Tua massively at a comeback. I mean, he had 21 points in the third quarter, which is quite unreal for a man of Tua's stature because a lot of people probably didn't think he could do this. Obviously, the Miami Dolphins front office didn't think he could do this because they tried to trade him away. They, you know, they were not kind of worried to see if that was their franchise guy. But after last last weekend, I mean, he definitely turned some heads. I mean, he's got seven touchdowns, which he's tied for first already in the uh, NFL and touchdowns thrown, and which is pretty cool because in 2020 he had 11, and he's he's already over over halfway from that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, he only has two interceptions, which is nice. Uh, 739 yards, which he's first in the league with, which is very surprising. Um, but you know, this uh, this is a team that. Uh, is really going to rely on their deep weapons, uh, especially late in the game, kind of like you mentioned, how they came back in the fourth quarter. And this is a team that uh, now you're thinking, you know, you can't really uh, sit back and uh, kind of watch because this is a team that will come back and beat you. But honestly, I, this is what I'm going to say. I say, I don't think so, but I can answer that question after this weekend when they face a really, really good Buffalo Bills team. Man, it's a shame because you you want exact same answer that I was having. Which is, <laughs> we, we didn't talk about our answers before this one, but here's a guy in Tua. Shout out Chris Consworth. Here's a guy. Here's a guy in Tua that is, and I don't want to make excuses for him, but he's had to deal with a whole lot of just talk all around him from the moment he stepped into the league, especially when you look at the 2020 rookie seasons that Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert had. It's not to his fault that he got drafted after Burrow and then right before Herbert. He's had to deal with the comparisons because he's obviously been the worst out of those three. And then on top of that, you have a head coach that really didn't trust him in the two years that he was there. Now he gets replaced with Mike McDaniel. And you had a front office that was potentially in on Deshaun Watson talks to b- replace to a long-term option and get Watson in the quarterback. So he's had to deal with all that. And even this offseason, they bring in Teddy Bridgewater, not to replace him, but at least have a steady presence back there at the backup quarterback spot and help Tua. So it just has never been, it's never been to his team, I don't really think, up until this year. And so far through two games, he has started to turn the tide a little bit. And a lot of that has to do with receivers, but he has put some balls in some tight places when Waddle and Hill have gotten open. And I think putting probably the two fast receivers in the league on the same field probably is going to work as an offense, and especially when you have the play designer in McDaniel that they have. But I'm with you. I need to see him beat Josh Allen and the Bills. Not just especially him. It's the entire team in the Dolphins. But I can't buy into two as the answer at quarterback until he can beat Josh Allen and the Bills. Bills are six-point favorites on Sunday. This is a team that Tua has not beat yet. And if the Dolphins want to get to that next step at the top of the AFC East, they have to take down the Bills. So it's not – I don't want to say like one game depends on Tua being a franchise quarterback. But until I'm going to really start to take him seriously as the answer for the Dolphins because I think the worst thing you could possibly do is have a quarterback that's good enough to win you some games and beat those bottom into middle tier teams not calling Baltimore a middle tier team because they're one of the better ones in the AFC but 
if he's never going to beat the best competition in his division, what hope does that offer for you moving forward? So I need to see him him go out, especially on the role that they're on. Miami is on offensive side of the football so far this season. Can they potentially win against Buffalo in a shootout? I think that's the way that they would have to win this one. And and it's that's that would really turn the tide. If we sit here a week from now and the Dolphins move to three and zero and knock off the what looks like the best team in the NFL by far in Buffalo, and Tua has another good game, then I'd really start to take things seriously. So that's going to be a game I'm going to keep be keeping a close eye on this weekend. Tua can definitely push the ball down the field. I think we saw that in Baltimore, and he got a little bit of hate from one of the touchdowns on Tyreek, where he looked like he was underthrown. And the more that I've seen that clip the better I think the throw actually was. I mean, we're expecting that thing to be perfect 50, 60 yards downfield, and Tyreek, the fastest receiver in the NFL, maybe he had to slow down a half of a step and the ball still hit him right in the hand. So Tua can definitely push the ball down the field, but in Buffalo, this is the best secondary and probably the most pressure he's going to face. So big test so far. I'll say, and I don't necessarily know if this is really telling anything because it's not like these are great quarterbacks. I'd take Tua over the other two in the division, Mac Jones and Zach Wilson right now. Like I said, I don't know if that's really saying anything uh, but the Dolphins certainly have like they looking like they have a path towards uh, a bright future here the roster looks good the coach looks good but can they can they at the very least can they compete with Buffalo if, if they go out on Sunday as a six-point underdog and lose the game by a final score let's say 31-28 where the offense looks good they just can't stop the Bills offense because no one can stop the Bills offense then I'll start to feel pretty good about this team but if it's the same old same old where it's 35 to 14 Buffalo wins that one then I'll be like okay yeah this there's a clear ceiling with this Miami team and I think you kind of agree here on Tua yeah I definitely do and um you know you make a good point obviously I was gonna say I think you could still be high on Tua even if they lose but the game is close because obviously Buffalo has destroyed their opponents I think they put up like 70 something total points in the first two games which is absurd um but yeah, I, I think that if this game is close, and which I do believe it will be, especially at home in Miami, um, you know, I think this is the first time since like 2013 that the Dolphins have been 2-0. Uh, so very exciting time in Miami for them. I could be wrong on that date, but that's what I'm going to go with. Um, and the Dolphins, you know, they're a good team. So obviously this game, you know, Buffalo is going to be ready, obviously. But what, what I'm saying is what I like to see is Buffalo go up, which I know they will. I want to see if Miami can come back, though, because obviously they came back against the Ravens, and it, obviously it took them the, the fourth quarter to come back. But uh, if they can do that consistently, I think then you have a real shot with saying Tua could be your franchise guy, especially with Tyreek down there. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say about Tua and that off story move on, probably at worst, he's a game manager. He, I don't think... At his, at his worst, he's going to be one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. I think even on his bad days, he's still better than the Daniel Jones, the Sam Darnold, some of those tier quarterbacks. So at worst, he's probably closer to his backup in Teddy Bridgewater. But at his best, when he is hitting his deep shots down the field, reading the defense, he's the guy we saw in Baltimore. Is there going to be 500 yards and six touchdowns every week? No, but I think we can see that type of player every week, not necessarily the stats at when he's at his peak. So I think that's kind of the, the difference in between two. So going back to the original question, yes, but I'm, I'm giving myself an out, put a little asterisk next the yes is him as the franchise guy and that asterisk is if he continues to get smoked against the Bills and look completely lost out there on the football field then it's then it's a no I don't want to put it all on one opponent but I mean that's that's the team they've got to get past to get to the top of the mountain in the AFC East and it's get, it's going to have to start turning here at some point so let's move on from the Tua Tungavalo and the Dolphins to an NFC team I told you right before break we were going to get into that conference and it hurts me to talk a little bit about this team considering the way they played on Monday Night Football but it's the Philadelphia 
Philadelphia Eagles, who have put the league on notice through the first two weeks of the season, far and away look like the best team in the NFC East right now. And that begs the question, Ryan, is this 2-0 Philadelphia team a contender in the NFC as a whole, not just the NFC East, but the entire NFC? Yeah, honestly, I do think they are. And uh, honestly, it's going to come off of one of two things. The first one being that they have a pretty dang soft schedule. Obviously, you could see this team potentially. I was going to go as far as saying starting 8-0, but that Eagles-Cardinal game is giving me just a little bit of a headache there. I, I think the Cardinals are a lot better than people were saying. Obviously, with the comeback game against the Raiders last weekend, Kyler Murray is legit. He played very good. Um, but obviously, you see that they face the Commanders this weekend. Then they go home to face the Jaguars. Then they go to Arizona. Then they play Dallas and then the Steelers and then Houston. Back to the Commanders. Uh, so obviously, you see all those teams, you know, they weren't even above 500 last year. So obviously, some of these teams here, um, you know, actually, I believe the Cowboys were. I'm sorry about that just because they won the NFC least last year. Um, but yeah. I mean, Jalen Hurts has just been phenomenal, man. I mean, you talk about that Monday night game. That game was over at the end, at the start of the third quarter. That's how good he was. 17-point uh, win for them, but it really seemed like a 30-plus win. I mean, that's just how good they played. And I don't know. I'm sorry about it, Ben. I don't know what it is with Kirk Cousins on primetime games, but my goodness, man, that was uh, not a good showing from him. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly was not a good performance from Kirk whatsoever. Not to defend him. The entire team as a whole in Minnesota was not prepared. Run game, pass game, defense. I mean, it was it was. Wrong. But to talk about the Eagles, and it's a team I had as a playoff team and had winning the NFC East this year, but I think they're proving me wrong wrong a little bit, and especially Jalen Hurts, a guy that I thought had clear limits, and I thought this team had clear limits to where they had to win in a certain way, and that was run the football, play defense, and keep the lead, and that's, they have... They haven't had to play from behind, so maybe that is still the only one. We just don't know it yet. But I don't think that's the case because Jalen Hurts continues to take step forward in his development, which is fantastic to see because that gives them an option there for the future. So I certainly think that this team is an NFC contender, especially in what is the weaker of the two conferences. I mean, if Philly plays as physical as they have the first couple games, they've shown that they can win where it's their defense has a fantastic game like they held a good offense in Minnesota, or they showed on in the first game of the season where defense lets up 30 35 points, does not have their best game. Okay, we'll go drop 38 A.J. Brown to go for 150 plus, and Jalen Hurts looks fantastic, and not every defense they face is going to be like the Lions, but the, the Eagles team physically dominated Minnesota. It was not close in that aspect, pressure-wise, def- defense-wise. Darius Slay was absolutely incredible against Justin Jefferson. Uh, like I said with Jalen Hurts, the development has been really fun to watch. I think it's a really cool when you get to see a team take a quarterback that's more of a project and really kind of bring him along slowly and turn him into a starting caliber guy. And it, they're, they're, It's not a finished product, but I think the Hurts development ha- has been fun to watch, and I think it's something that can ride Philly into the future and is kind of proving Philly gave themselves an option next year with extra first round picks to get the quarterback of Hurts. He's not the guy, but I have a feeling that those picks will not be used on a quarterback as Hurts certainly looks the part. And when you look at the Phillies, I keep saying the Phillies. It's the Philadelphia. It's in Philadelphia. (laughs) It's the Eagles. I still have the baseball question on my mind. But the rotation of Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, and Boston Scott, none of them are elite tier running backs, but when you're rotating them all in and they're all healthy, it works to keep the defense off balance. It's a 
good offensive line led by Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey, which, by the way, if you not have not checked out Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey's podcast, it's pretty funny. The two brothers talk about their NFL experiences, but you have those two, an average, above-average tight end and got it, an elite wide receiver in A.J. Brown, and then another high-ceiling one in Devonta Smith. So where's the weak point on that offense? Last year, they didn't really have another pass catcher after Devonta Smith, and Jalen Hurts was the weak link. I didn't think he could throw the football enough to have them win high-scoring games. But now I, I, I have to admit, it does not look like the weak link, weak link in this offense anymore. The pocket presence on Monday was incredible, whether it was buying time with his legs to throw or eventually take off. He, the game seems to have really started to slow down for him. And when you look at that aspect, and there's no clear glaring weakness on the offense outside of, I guess, the running backs of a couple get hurt. I mean, it's that's... That's the biggest thing to me. There was never a question on whether or not their defense could keep them in against NFC contenders. There was a game last year where they faced a good Tampa Bay team in the regular season, not the playoffs game, but the regular season. The defense kept him in it all game long, but the offense led by Jalen Hurts just wasn't very good. I'm pretty sure he had a really bad night as a passer. Now, with the new step forward on that side of the football, you give Hurts more weapons, and he has a full off season as the second year of being a starter. It's, it is certainly a team that is, has taken a step forward, and I, I hate to admit it just because I was not the highest on Hurts coming into this season. I felt like I keep saying I thought he was very limited as a passer, but it's, he's certainly taken te- steps forward, so that's been fun to see. And then looking at the rest of the NFC, I mean, it's Tampa Bay's up there. The Rams got out back on track a little bit, although it was not pretty against, uh, against Atlanta at home last Sunday. So out of the NFC West, there's no, there's no dominating team over there. The North, we all thought it was the Vikings after a week, but they just got dominated by Philadelphia. The Packers probably turned around, but, but right now there's no glaring team. And like you said, with a schedule for Philadelphia, they probably start 4-0 here in this one. They're, uh, they're going to face a commander's team in Carson Wentz, who's turnover prone, although he's had a good start. And then they face the Jags, who it's a much better Jags team now, and you're going to face Doug Peterson. But two teams that Philadelphia is certainly better than, and they're potentially going to start 4-0 and then be in front of a division where you've got Cooper Rush, Carson Wentz, and Daniel Jones. That I like the odds for Philly to run away with that division. And, and certainly, I think... I still, I still don't know. Last thing I'll say, I need to see them play a game from behind. That's, that's the biggest thing left for this team is they've played with a lead pretty much, especially in the second half. They were trailing Detroit for a little bit in the first half, but the Vikings, they led the whole way. Lions led the whole second half. One game against a contender, which that's probably not going to get until maybe that Arizona game. Let's say that Arizona game, they're they're trailing fourth, third quarter, fourth quarter, 28-14. Can Hurts lead them on a couple drives to come back in this one against a, a good— Arizona doesn't have a good defense, but against a high-scoring offense in Arizona and, and come back in that fashion. That's, I think, the one test left uh, to eventually put that because I know Tom Brady's going to bring me back in the fourth quarter. Even some of the lesser guys, Matthew Stafford proved that he can bring me back in the fourth quarter. Rodgers in the Brady category, he can bring me back fourth quarter. We'll just need to see the Eagles do that. I think that's it's, it's kind of like the th- the Miami question. I just need to see one more thing to really lock it in because there's there's like one one overarching question left, and that's that's the thing. It's only through two weeks, so I don't think you have to say whether or not they're contenders for sure.
Yeah, I mean, you, you said it, Ben. You picked two great questions to discuss on the show, but obviously you just need a little bit more to answer those questions. Uh, I'm kind of getting, you know, are you getting 2018 vibes here from the Eagles last time they were 2-0 with 2016? Obviously, they're first in the division right now with the Giants tied with them as well. They're 2-0. I'm not sure if they're just kind of riding high right yeah, now. I don't think anyone really believes in yeah, the Giants. <laughs> come on, let's be honest there. But, you know, it's kind of crazy because you would think as an NFL fan, you look at Jalen Hurts and you're like, he's only thrown one touchdown. That's crazy. But then he has three rushing touchdowns as well and he has been able to do it all with his legs so far in game in week one and week two and obviously I think he's gonna do it in week three again against the commanders uh, another game that the Eagles should easily win um but yeah you know I'm I'm very high on this Eagles team especially with Dak getting injured unfortunately that does open up a lot of space now for the Eagles to probably win that division um and then it kind of depends on how far they go in the playoffs because obviously last year they got pummeled by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first round um so obviously if you're Jalen Hurts here obviously you're probably not looking you probably remember that game but you're not obviously looking forward to that type of game again but you're looking forward to maybe getting a higher seed so you don't have to face a good team like the Buccaneers um but yeah I like this team a lot uh like I said with the schedule that, that really opens things up for them and I do really think that Jalen Hurts can take this team to the Super Bowl. I know that's super early right now, but I mean that's the team I've seen so far, and I don't see them getting like worse than they are right now. I think they're just that good of a team. But again, like you said, I have to see them play a good team, and I have to see them come from behind. But I'm getting shades of 2018 with this team. Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. Real quick, let's 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 play a quick game. So, Eagles or Cowboys with a healthy deck? Who are you taking? I'm st- I'm gonna take the Eagles okay. just with the way the, the season's gone so far for sure. Eagles or Minnesota? This, this should be an easy Eagles, one. Yeah. Eagles or this is gonna be hard for you. Green Bay. Oh man. Um, yeah, well, my love for the Packers. That's a tough question, but I think I'm gonna pick Philly over them. I mean, I I know Aaron can do so much, but the 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 wide receiver still is just questioning me so much, man. And do you have to think is Alan Lazard versus Darius Slay a matchup you really wanna have to target? Um, exactly. Eagles or Tampa Bay? See, now that's a tough one, and I would love for that. I, was, I know I'm a Packers fan, but I'd love for that to be the NFC Championship game. That would be so cool. Uh, I think it would be close, but, I mean, it, it's so tough right now because you can never count Tom Brady out. But the way yeah. he's playing this year, I'm taking the Eagles, man. That's, that's a bold I think it's I think I, I think the, my, the Eagles hype may stop there for me. I'll still take Tampa Bay. Last two, first Eagles or Rams? Um, Defending champs, but they don't look all that. They've looked horrible, yeah. man. I'm going to take the Eagles. Again. Okay. Last one, Eagles or 49ers? And the 49ers now moving forward with Jimmy. I'm taking the Eagles. Okay. It's, it's interesting when you look at the scope of the NFC. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back to wrap this thing up. Week 3 starts tonight. We're going to preview a couple games when we return to Around the Ways on KCOU 80.1 FM. A little bit about the show, if you've never listened before. This is the gold standard. We talk about Olympic sports. United States got 25 medals, which put them fifth in the medal count. Figure skating, news. I get the feeling I'm going to do what I did last show and talk way too long about world figure skating and not have the proper time to talk about the other things. Or sometimes whatever I feel like. Chiefs Bills played each other this weekend in the playoffs and it was a time. But it's my show, so that's what I get to do. Tune in Thursdays at 10. Rumors spread around. United Texas. 
Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCU 80.1 FM Columbia on this Thursday, September 22nd. Fall weather in the air and some fall football on tap this weekend with the NFL. Week 3 starts this evening with the Steelers and the Browns. What better quarterback matchup to have on primetime national television than Mitch Trubisky versus Jacoby Brissett? What more could you ask for? But let's get to Week 3 right here. And I, I think we're both going Sunday games, although I'll wait to see. So, Ryan, tell us what game are you going to be previewing one to keep an eye on this weekend? Yeah, as much as I would love to see the Browns get their first win with Brownie as a logo, that game just doesn't really intrigue me that much. Um, I'm going to go with my Packers, man. Packers and Buccaneers. I understand Mike Evans is out because uh, he just, you know, him and, uh, oh, goodness, who's the guy on the Saints that they always been having? Marshall Lattimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lattimore. They just can't seem to keep their hands off each other. Um, so I think this is going to be a great game, though, man. Obviously, Packers 1-1. One and one, this kind of just throws me shades of last year. Obviously, they started off 1-1. One and one. Um, Last year, they had to play a big game in Week 3 against the I want to say it was the Niners, and they ended up winning that on a field goal by Mason Crosby. Yes, I think you're dead on. It was in San Fran on Sunday yeah. Night Football, yep. So I think it's going to be kind of one of those games again. Obviously, Tom Brady hasn't looked that good, but honestly, neither has Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, last game, it was kind of more of the Aaron Jones show. He did get a uh, passing touchdown to Alan Lizard-Lazard in there, so that was pretty cool. But, I mean, Christian Watson, I, there's someone else that might have been Lazard. Uh, both of them were limited at practice yesterday, so that kind of worries me. Obviously, it shouldn't be that worrisome because you really know by tomorrow who's going to be playing in that game or not. And then the other thing is, is David Bakatari going to be able to play? I don't think he is. I think he's still a couple of games until he's ready. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll put him out there. Maybe they'll say he's ready to go. But I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring game. I think that both of these teams have some pretty good running games. Um I'm really, obviously, I'm just excited about this one. Obviously, you got Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers again, and I mean, those games have always been great, uh, you know, except for the divisional series games, which we're not going to talk about. Um, but, you know, I'm just, you know, a 325 game has to be, would like to think has to be America's Game of the Week. Everyone's going to be watching this game um, in Tampa, but like I said, I'm just really, really excited. I shouldn't say this, but I'm really happy that the Buccaneers don't have Mike Evans. That opens up a lot more uh, for the Packers. They still have Jair Alexander out there, Eric Stokes, a guy that I haven't really seen much from, though, is, um, oh, goodness, uh, gosh, uh, Bob 29, 29. Oh, I, oh, yeah, no. I don't know your team well enough to tell you who that is. It's the guy is. who intercepted the game in Arizona last year to win the game. We probably oh, uh, Rasul yes, Douglas? Yes, Douglas. Yeah. I haven't seen much from him yet, so maybe I'm expecting maybe a big game from him. Adrian I, Amos, uh, Denard Sepp, is he injured? No, I was going to say, I don't think you've seen much from him because I don't think teams are throwing his way because he's oh, played pretty enough. good coverage. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Denard, um, Darnell Savage as well. I think this Packers uh, defense is really good. Obviously, they didn't show it in week one, but they showed it against the Bears, and uh, I understand it's the Bears, but David Montgomery almost had over 130 rushing yards against them, so if they're going to let the Buccaneers run all over them, which is something that they obviously cannot let happen, Uh, Leonard Fournette, obviously 192 yards, he he scares me, and so does Tom Brady. I understand he's having kind of a down year right now, but Leonard Fournette scares me. The Packers have to be able to stop the run game, so obviously I'm looking forward to this game for one of two reasons. One, I'm a big Packers fan, and two, can they stop the run game and and get two and one? I I think this is going to be a hard game, just like last year's was against the 49ers I am gonna go the Packers are gonna win this one on a field goal as well yeah I mean this certainly figures to be one of the best games probably I shouldn't say probably because there's a decent shot these two teams meet in the playoffs but potentially the last time you see Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers match up against each other and one 
I think if the Packers want to be taken seriously as contenders, you got to win this one. And I know, I know the Packers are dealing with injuries too, but the the Tampa Bay, I mean, they just pulled Cole Beasley off the streets because they have so many wide receiver injuries. The offensive line is banged up. It's the the Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, I still trust him more than Rodgers, but it's a very beat up team, and the Packers really should go in and, and take this one if they are really going to be serious contenders. But for the game, I'm going to switch you. I, I highly doubt anyone expected me to highlight a game between two O and two teams. But the Raiders and the Titans, and I think this is going to be a close game because it's two incredibly desperate teams just in the fact that winner keeps some hope, albeit a little bit of hope, but some hope alive at 1-2 and two on the season. Meanwhile, for the loser, your, your, your season's basically done at 0-3, especially for the Raiders in the AFC West. Maybe the Titans still would have some hope at 0-3 because the AFC South stinks. But at 0-3, you're, you're looking at a really long road ahead. So you're going to see some really desperate teams, I think, trying to get their first win, uh, a, a big sense of urgency I expect, especially when you consider the two games that these teams are coming off of. The Raiders are blow, blew a 20 to nothing lead at home against the Cardinals, a game that they had chance after chance to win and put away, and they let that one slip through their fingers, and Kyler Murray and the Cardinals stole it on the road. And then the Titans on national TV got absolutely destroyed in Buffalo. It was it was really not close. Malik Willis got in the game. It was blood territory. Bills Mafia was, was going insane. So both teams coming off of devastating losses in different ways. And I think the two biggest things on or the two the thing one thing on each side is going to determine how this game really ends up will be for the Raiders one can they find that happy medium for Devontae Adams week one it was ten for 141 yards and as great as he was it was kind of like maybe we're targeting Carr here or start we're targeting Devontae too much and not using our other playmakers because there are other playmakers in Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. So how can they get the ball to those guys? That was after week one. Now after last week, Devontae has just two catches for 12 yards and it's like, okay, it's, it's the number one wide receiver. You've got to get him the ball more than that. So can you find that happy medium to where you're still getting your best receiver the ball, uh, find him in the end zone, but still use your other playmakers as well to keep the defense off balance. And then the Titans sideline, can they run the football and finally have that big breakout Derrick Henry game that carries that offense to a win? Henry puts the team on his back. It's not been a good start to the season for King Henry. In week one, he went 21 carries for 82 yards. That's not even four yards a carry. And then it was even worse last week, 13 carries for just 25 yards. It's been a struggle for Henry to find any running room. And against a good pass offense that's uh, the Titans really don't have a whole lot of corners to defend, can the Titans keep the Raiders' offense off the field and have Derrick Henry go for 100 plus yards kind of salt the game away. I think this game is won in the trenches by the Raiders pass blocking. How much time does Carr have to throw to hit those good weapons he has and then the Titans run blocking. I kind of know already what I'm going to get out of Tannehill but can the run blocking provide lanes for Henry which they have not done this season. Over under is 45 and a half. I'm going to take that and this game is in Nashville but I'm also going to take the Raiders minus two on the road. I think the Raiders are, are way too talented of a team to start the season 0-3. It was a squad that some people were picking to potentially knock off the Chiefs at the top of the AFC West. and That's a team that probably should be 2-1 and one after three games, but I'm going to have them at 1-2 and two after grabbing this win. I'll take the Raiders 27-20 in my game of the week against two 0-2 teams. There's, there's, there's some alright matchups here in Week 3. This one just intrigued me just because it's 
it's a must win for both teams because it's all two zero and two is already hard enough, but zero and three is essentially the nail in the coffin. It's not really a spot you see a whole lot of teams come back out of. I think, like I said, the Titans could have a shot to do it, but I would certainly not the Raiders. Last thing here, we we got to wrap up, uh, get out of here in the studio. One final thing before we head in, uh, but Ryan, let's just get one one little update on your fantasy football prospects. All right, first off, I'm just going to throw out one one big thing that I just kind of want to just put it out here because, you know, Luca wanted to make fun of this, but my pickup of Jared Goff, he got me 26 points, all right, last weekend. Jared Goff played great. Four touchdowns thrown. I think two of them were to uh, my man Amon Ross St. Brown. Maybe just one. I'm not exactly sure. But Jared Goff, stay hot for me, big boy. Yeah, I'll just update real quick. Uh, the, the thing I want to talk about is my dad and I run a team in our in our neighborhood league. There's a, a couple father-son teams in there. And I think our receiving core that we have assembled, and it, it is a 10-man league, so it's slightly easier to say that what might be the best receiving core that I've ever assembled on a football team. Stefan Diggs, who looks by far the best in a way, the best fantasy receivers. We have Stefan Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown, A.J. Brown, and then also on the bench, DeAndre Hopkins waiting to return in a couple weeks, and Brandon Cooks, the wide receiver one in Houston. I know it's a 10-man league, and you got a little bit lucky because the teams aren't as stacked, but I think that may be the best group of pass catchers that uh, I've ever had to work with on a fantasy team. So, especially after how good Amon Ra looked uh, these past couple weeks, I mean, it's I'm I'm excited for that team's prospects. But that's going to do it for here on Around the Waves on this Thursday. Thanks so much for listening in, everyone, on KCU 8.1 FM. Luca will be back with us next Thursday. We've got another good show planned for you. So, have a good weekend, everyone. Take care, and hopefully we're sitting here next week talking about a Mizzou victory in Auburn. All right, we'll see you next time on Around the Ways on KCU 80.1 FM.